0: So uh, welcome everyone. Can you all hear me? Let me know, raise your hand if you can't hear me as we go on here. Uh, So we're continuing with the theme of the second foundation of mindfulness, which is feelings, uh, not feelings in the sense of emotions, but feelings as the basic um, contact expression of the moment. Whether we are, uh, whether there is a, uh, invitation to a pleasantness or a, re, a repulsion of unpleasantness or a neutral disinterest. Uh, the moment, each moment, each experience offers a tone associated with it. <clears throat> often, as I've mentioned in previous talks, these tones go unnoticed and we're often embroiled in the uh, reaction to the tones that we have uh, accentuated and developed and exaggerated uh, in the course of just a very quick moment <clears throat> and uh, we have a whole story tied up with it past memories associated with it and we're often running on an association that in its simplicity, in, in its simplicity it was just a feeling tone it was just this it was just this much And I encouraged everyone to notice, uh, especially in the more pleasant or enamored moments or the ones that are more aversive and repulsive, uh, instead of moving uh, forever in the narrative of how awful or how wonderful it is, simply go to the base feeling of the moment and uh, see if this moment isn't worth living, regardless of the feeling tone that's being imparted. Just see if we can encompass or develop an embrace of the moment uh, regardless of the feelings that might be contained within the moment. And you'll see that you have each of us has the capacity to do just that. That we each have the capacity to bring the moment back down to its simple, simple nature. Uh, and that when we're willing to do that, the complexity implodes upon itself. And what we were really running from wasn't so much the feeling it was the reaction to the feeling it was the embellishment of the feeling with all of our memories and associations of it and so if we can just just come down to a more basic relationship to what it is that where all this hyperbole is going we'll see there's a sanity there that we may have missed now i want to start off uh we're going to talk about the neutral feeling tonight, but before I do so, I want to just uh, bring us back to last week when we were having the dyads, <clears throat> where two people would sit across from one another. One of them would ask the other person a question, a, rep- a repetitive question, uh, something about the nature of the other person's experience. And that questioning would then drive consciousness of the second person down to the subtlety of where that question was pointing until and that person would then respond in accordance with wherever their experience was alighting and directed by that questioning and there's a couple of valuable reasons that we do that every so often not very often but every so often one is because it shows you that you have the ability to uncover a depth of experience within you that uh, throughout the course of a day and with all of its interactions and and activity you may not realize you have access to. But probably a more important component of the dyads is that it teaches us (coughs) how to use questioning to plummet our experience to its depth. It doesn't have to be somebody asking us a question. That question can as easily come from ourselves where we ask a very fundamental question, often initiated perhaps through your own curiosity, hopefully, but maybe the homework will invite a kind of interest in some aspect of your, of your experience. And then you begin in, in a journey that is very important to lay practitioners. It's important to any practitioner. It's one of the seven factors of enlightenment. It's called investigation of the, of the mind. And that willingness to look innocently uh, at one's experience through asking questions, it breaks us into a freshness, breaks us open into a freshness. It's an innocence, you can often find it in children who are just full of wonder uh, and curiosity. And to reinitiate that wonder and curiosity in ourselves uh, by... Looking at what it is and where it is that we have uh, allowed ourselves become uh, stayed and stuck is is essential. I think it's just an essential part of lay Buddhism. And many people don't know how to question, and they don't think they have the ability to question. And they do. Everyone has the ability to follow one's question, a natural question, down into the experience level to where it takes us. What keeps us uh, sort of away from that is uh inertia so an innate curiosity is uh blocked by our inertia and uh inertia is uh, is there's a law of inertia actually in science it says um, a body will remain at rest or in uniform motion until acted upon by another force and that's very much the nature of the mind the nature of the mind will just settle at its own level of comfort, resist any disturbance of that comfort until it's acted upon by another force. And that force uh, will have to be uh, directly in opposition to the inertia of the rest of the comfort. So the questioning, what questioning does, is it instills a kind of force that is counteractive to the rest and relaxation of the comfort level where we are steady and just basically asleep within our comfort and a question reinvites a new way of looking into that particular facet of our experience and so it's a it's a realizing that it's going to disturb us it's not going to be uh comfortable in the sense that it Uh, doesn't disturb our life. It is going to disturb our our rest. And many of us don't want to have our rest disturbed. But Dharma is by nature a disturbance of our rest, by definition. And I'm hoping that uh, we have now uh, long since gotten over the need to just be a sort of a steady state creature in ourselves. And that we're willing to ask questions and disturb our rest. Disturb our rest. Because rest leaves you uh, with uh, a life that, when it's really evaluated critically, essentially is in turmoil and struggle for much of it. And the willingness to test and question our life on an ongoing basis brings it into more harmony, actually brings it into a, a smoother resonance with the rest of life. Uh, But we have some basic assumptions that we just don't feel like disturbing. I was listening to the radio today, and there was the question of the climate change. And one person was uh, fighting uh, the implications of climate change by saying that he was reading a scientific article where the person was attributing the climate alterations to sun disturbances. Uh, And there was one scientist who wrote a paper like that despite 4,000 who uh, say differently. And this person, because it disturbed his comfort level, because it's an, as the movie said, an inconvenient truth. This is an inconvenient truth. We don't want an inconvenient truth in our life. So we'll go towards the solution that causes less inconvenience, that doesn't disturb us so much. But Dharma is not going to be a convenient truth for you. You realize that? And that's why I refuse to have people just come here passively and just listen. I don't want that kind of audience out here. I want people who are really willing to engage themselves in an inconvenient truth and to pull this uh, subtlety down to where it can actually change the very foundation on the way you stand, the way you present, the way your posture is to the world. And when we're talking about feelings, we're talking about some fundamental assumptions that we have, that we have based our life upon. Like, uh, a meaningful life is a f- life, this is an assumption that most of us have if we look at it. A meaningful life is a life that has uh, encouraged comfort and pleasant feelings. That's what, makes you, uh, that's what determines our life being meaningful, is that we have att- obtained a certain comfort level within it, for many of us. And conversely, uh, we sense that we have failed when we have a lot of unpleasant feelings in our life. And then the the summation of our life either becomes acceptable or not based upon that particular expression of tone. And so we have to question that. We have to question those feelings. Now, there's an interesting uh, sort of dyadic experience here. And that is that As we rest more and more upon the feelings of our life, uh, the more pleasure and pain you'll receive from life in, in pretty much equal quantities. But the less presence you'll have for life, the less alive you'll be to life. That's what you give up. You get your pleasure, you get your pain, but you give up awareness, aliveness. Now, if you want the other way, you have to pull back and not be attached or aversive to pleasure or pain. Then you get presence and aliveness, but you don't get a life that's built upon comfort. You see, those are, those are inversely proportional to one another. But we have lived our life and we encourage a life that's like one of those Pac-Man, you know, those little gobbling things. <laughs> <laughs> that just simply lives on an eating frenzy of pleasure and uh, and then draws conclusions around the moment based upon whether it's pleasurable or not. So our aliveness is directly dependent upon our willingness to abide free of pushing and pulling the moment to and fro towards the Feeling tone or away from the feeling tone of the moment. Whether we can just rest in the moment. When we rest in the moment, free of those feelings, we rest in aliveness. There's only two places you can go you can go towards the feeling or you can go towards the aliveness. When you go towards the feeling, it also means that you're going to go towards your narrative, towards your thought, because thinking is what embellishes the feeling to make it worth it, to make it feel as if it's a worthwhile life and a substantial uh, life and all of the other ways that we create a fe- uh, narrative around a f- feeling tone. Meanwhile, if we just, this is where questioning comes in, if we just are willing to look at the feeling tone itself, what you'll find is that it's intransient. It's intransient. It's moving. It's changing. It's in flux, in movement all the time even you won't even have the same feeling tone about the same experience you'll have a pleasant feeling tone about something at one point of time but when you get tired of it when you've been satiated with it it'll suddenly become an aversive feeling to have, to the same experience and so it's not predictable you can't rely upon feelings to be the governing force of of your life and that but that takes the willingness to question it the willingness to look the willingness to, to have a, a new understanding of what it is that's driving us. Now, uh, what the point of all this is, is that it's, uh, it's moving us into a new evolution of consciousness. The old evolution of consciousness was one that was just based on uh, milking life for the pleasant qualities and staying away from the unpleasant qualities of life. That was, the, that was the basic fabric of the way old consciousness formed itself. But now we're involved in ourselves in a new consciousness, a new willingness uh, to move outside of those old patterns, that old conditioning. And it, it's requiring more from us. It's requiring us to wake up, to wake ourselves up, to have a new... Uh, um, fresh outlook, a new relationship to the old experiences that we have known. And so, but some of the questions that help us wake up like, is what is life like on its own terms without inducing it to be exciting? What is life like when we don't induce excitement? What is it like in its raw form? And what is it? I, I, I don't know if that's hits you with the same uh, same ingrained way that it hits me but at some point i just got so tired of having life uh be lived with a certain intensity and that anything less than that just wasn't worth my attention i wanted to know what what was there what what was the relationship why why couldn't i establish a relationship regardless of whether it was exciting or not. That's a, a question like that can get under your skin. And then the other question, the other ponderance, is seeing that the eye is formed in, depe- in dependency, but aliveness is found uh, free of dependency, free of conditioning. Just what I was saying so that you begin to see that how the when you're dependent when we're conditioned to a particular experience you get yourself in that you get yourself in that because you get your narrative when once you have your story you have the storyteller and you have the whole sense of your your sense within life and all of that but we've lost something something that's pretty fundamental we've lost a sense of touch to the very fabric of aliveness itself and you say what do you mean by that i mean that when you're lost in thought you're not alive you you can think you're alive but then that's another abstraction you're thinking you're alive that's a very different experience than being alive and all we have to do is touch that fabric of being alive frequently enough that we start honoring that much more than we do the artificial, the virtual life of our thinking. And so you see that you can't have both. And you want to understand how it is that we have lost our way with all all this conditioned madness. How is it that I can't find my way back to being alive? Well it's basically because we've lost ourselves within the feeling tones of experience so it this is um this is not uh a convenient truth for us Uh, but we can we can do this we can do this thing now we've talked about the pleasant and we've talked about the unpleasant let's talk about neutral the neutral feelings oh i just want to it seems uh that some of you know meta well enough to know that uh, you start off with a pleasant person, and uh, then you go to a neutral person uh, on your way to a, a difficult person. And you bring love, the ability to love, or you try to bring the ability to love to all of those different categories. Well, the, the neutral is harder to love than somebody you like, because there's a natural opening of your heart to a benefactor or a friend that's there just in resonance. But what the neutral person, neutral means bland, that you don't know the person. There's no connection. There's no uh, interest. It's just, uh, there's just no excitement. There's no intent. There's nothing there that's worth connecting. You don't have any reason to know the person. But what you begin to see through the metta is that you can develop a deep affection, that love exists there even if there isn't a feeling tone associated with it. Now, why is that important? Because in the love, there is aliveness. When you just relate to the feeling tone, oh, I don't know that person, I don't... Then you don't have the love for them, and you're just relating to life through the conditioned experience that you have with life, which gives you, gives you a sense of yourself and the other person, but it doesn't give you any connection with that other person. When you are al- when you allow yourself to settle in and see through the neutral you begin your heart begins to naturally connect just from bare humanity to bare humanity and you see that love is alive love is the expression of aliveness and it has nothing to do with what you happen to be feeling about that person and so that sort of sets us up to how to look at feeling tones to see if there's aliveness even in the blandness even in the disinterested, even in the, in the boring. And it's I think it's actually uh, very important. Now, neutral doesn't stay neutral for very long. We, one reason many of us get into meditation is that we want the neutral. We want to be neutralized. Right? We don't want to have any disturbances in our life so we're looking for some way uh, to be unaffected and we associate neutral with being unaffected and many of us uh, hover around the word equanimity or balance of mind, hoping that we will come to some sort of flat line relationship to life itself and I just like to say that that's not meditation that's not what we're trying to do here that's false that's the pursuit, that's a that's the uh, uh, attachment to neutral. All right. So we're not trying to be attached to neutral. We're just trying to experience what neutral is, and neutral is neutral. Ne- you, neutral is just nothing exciting, nothing advantageous, nothing pleasant, nothing unpleasant. It's just that bare experience of neutrality. Now. The other way that many of us go when we aren't seeking neutrality, which is an attachment to the neutral, is that the neutral becomes unpleasant very quickly. Now why does the neutral become unpleasant very quickly? Because we, the sense of us, doesn't get any traction from the neutral. We're not fighting anything, we're not uh, grasping anything, we're essentially in a dead state. Right? And we can't survive, the sense of I doesn't survive in a dead state. And so it doesn't, so quickly it makes the neutral unpleasant. It makes it uninteresting. See, now we've gone from neutral, which is not really uninteresting, it's just not interesting. <laughs> and we have made it into a, we've now we've turned it. We've turned it, we've distorted it, it's now be- and very soon after it becomes uninteresting, it becomes what? Boring. Right? Dull. Lifeless. <coughs> and we can just feel, you know, just like, try staring at a wall, right? There's nothing there. I mean, maybe you like the color of the paint, I don't know. Stare at a white wall. <laughs> and you just, you know, suddenly you get your, what happens is you start, you lose connection. There's no reason that the self sees to connect with that thing and as you lose connection this is actually one of the reasons that we can get um, oh that that comes later in the talks so let me back. <laughs> so this dull boring and uninteresting quality is what comes after we've located ourselves in a neutral feeling within a neutral feeling now it's a little bit like waiting right we've all had the experience of waiting waiting is neutral waiting is neither positive or negative we're just waiting right and action can be also have a neutral tone everything every experience can have a neutral tone so you're not engaged you're kind of between activities when you're waiting But waiting really has a negative connotation for most of us because we're impatient. Why why are we impatient? Because we're between activities. You see, I just want you to get a sense of how the sense of self cannot abide disengaged. It needs something to to form itself upon. And activity is what it forms itself upon. Reactivity is an activity. Right? So, waiting is just between. So we we make waiting into a negative, a negative. You know, I have to wait for you. It's like a negative thing I have to do. Why? Because we are one, not in control. We don't know when the person will show up. So we're completely out of control. And two, because we are disengaged. We're we are not, we are not being formed or being defined in that moment through our activity. I find that very interesting. We can just, so start to start to see how we get very disturbed within the neutral. It's we start fighting it, making it into something advantageous or disadvantageous. We start creating some sense of friction. We do that why because we to for us to be able to have a story in relationship to what's going on we need some meat at the other end of that we need something to bite into the pac-man needs to come out and so that allows us to form our story around it and so if we stay disengaged no story forms no story forms we stay unformed so very quickly a story will form oh waiting. I'm have to wait. God, I've been waiting for a long time. Why isn't this, you know, on and on. Now we have an unpleasant moment. We have some traction, friction. Uh, the story has some place to grow. It has f- fertile soil to grow upon. And we're safely in place in ourselves. Okay? So neutral doesn't stay neutral for long. Unless we find the aliveness in all moments. Unless we're willing to uncover the heart, the love, just like in Metta, the love that pre-exists the neutrality, pre exists the neutrality, was there before the neutrality uh, turned into something, turned us away. It's also interesting, I I was thinking about this as well, is um, when when we're not uh, sufficiently engaged, when there aren't moments of intensity spread throughout the day, uh, and therefore there are lapses into a neutral tone between these moments of great intensity or entertainment, or aversion, drama. How do we how do we work with that? Well, instead of just living through it, we keep ourselves busy. And busyness is a bridge. It takes us from our dullness. It takes us. It 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 keeps us sped up so that we're always moving from hilltop to hilltop. Uh, and. Never settling into the valleys between that, because we're never feeling the level of neutrality within our experience. A busy mind is a mind that's future-oriented. It's looking at the next challenge it has up ahead, the next activity that it's going to do. That busyness has its own intensity, doesn't it? What you're going to do has an intensity, not what you're doing. You're, what you're doing is often neutral—brushing your teeth, but getting really getting through brushing your teeth so that you can get your uh, breakfast and get to the thing so you can get see the intensity starting to generate from the busyness that we create now the busyness then moves through the entire day so that we never have to feel the neutral points of experience that are naturally there the brushing of the teeth the chewing of the food right just the, the mundane ordinary moments throughout the day because business won't land on those, it's landing upon the next thing it has to do and putting a stress or a charge to that doing. And that way we keep ourselves pumped up never really feeling the nature of the uh, neutral tones that really manifest throughout much of the day. Now the other thing we do is that we start, when we start feeling these neutral points, if we allow ourselves to, uh, which it's often a retreat on retreat or some place where we're uh, we've taken ourselves on vacation or something and we're not we're just allowing ourselves to relax you begin to feel the neutral moments you begin to well what did I, co- I mean, what is there to do what what have we got to do today that's the first question that comes out of the mouth isn't it you're sitting there on on vacation and the intensity has been you don't have the same intensity of the day because you don't have to go to work or whatever but, but still there's this, this impetus. Well, what, what can we do today? Let's get, let's get this thing going. Because the neutral, the feeling of blandness, of ordinariness is not sufficient. We're supposed to be what on vacation? We're supposed to be delighted. We're supposed to, have, supposed to be comfortable, pleasant. Now we also start taking this sense of dullness that comes our way personally, as personal statements. We take it as, as personal ownership. If we get too dull, if we experience too much neutrality during the day, which is one of the reasons that, remember, that we stay busy, well, could that signify that I'm, I'm dull? Yeah? Could that, could that be, could it be an indication that maybe it's not life? You know, maybe, maybe I'm dull. Now, that's a terrible, a ter- a terrible <laughs> self-accusation. None of us want to feel like we're dull, but if we're not exciting, if we're not constantly—I don't know if you've ever been early on in your dating lives. You know how you had to feel like you had to. I remember feeling this anyway. How you feel like you had to keep the the relationship charged somehow, so it's always uplifted and feeling good. Because if it was dull, then you were afraid or I was afraid that the person would say, oh, you're dull, I don't want to date you anymore, right? This is unexciting. So there's this this kind of way that there's a self-accusation that can occur if we stay too neutral for too long. It's interesting, isn't it? Or we can get into a kind of a listless, lifeless energy, and it can start feeling as if, uh, you know, we're tired even before we try. Kind of this. I think in most of us there is a despairing energy. Uh, that despairing energy doesn't necessarily mean that we are uh, that we are um, uh, emotionally sad or depressed. It often is wisdom, a source of wisdom, when we aren't keeping ourselves pumped up, moving from one peak to the next intensity uh and you just see what life is at its ordinary level there can come a despair that many of us stay very uh, averse to and just since that it's i'm i've seen a family member i had a family member who fell into that trap and just lost all his life force really within that kind of of just listless energy didn't have any anything that would stir him anymore and i think many of us feel frightened by that prospect in ourselves and then it leads to the ultimate question of course and that is is life worth living at all I mean, if it's not about, if we, if we start looking at this thing and we prove that it's not about comfort, and it's comfort isn't the source of happiness, then there's this moment—a very, um, very awkward moment—in which our life has been built upon that assumption, and we have to—we go through a moment of terror in which life itself may not be worth living. That question arises in us. If it's not about what I've been striving for, what I've made my life around, what's it about? This uh, can take some time uh, to flush out. And many of us go through that darkened, dark night of the soul period in which we have ended our usual life's purpose, but the fulfillment of our aliveness has not yet been reached. And there can be this despairing that occurs. So, uh, all of these things are part of the journey of looking at our feeling tones. And some of them, I'm sure, are persuading you that you would just soon keep it comfortable and nice. Uh, But let me assure you that At the other end of this questioning and investigation, there is full aliveness. Which is worth every bit of the effort that we put forth in in its discovery. Now, some of us uh, like to be bored. Some of us uh, want boredom, encourage boredom. Uh, because boredom does, is a nice defense for us. It's not pleasant. Boredom isn't pleasant. Boredom is a waiting period. Boredom is saying that what's going on now isn't worth paying attention to. And we have to wait for a better, more exciting moment to pay attention. So the, the sense of boredom is really a sense of glazing over the moment and not paying attention to it. Well, why is it I- encouraged unconsciously in some of us? some of us encourage it because it's a partial heart it's it's a it's a heart that isn't fully engaged it when we're feeling uh, that we're not up to the task of a full living experience that we that we don't think that we can really do this thing because of the person we are uh, boredom gives us a nice state of mind in order to sort of dismiss having to even look having to even show up uh, and we can just sort of go back into ourselves uh... and find an alternative of comfort to this sense of boredom uh... and it lacks there's the lacking of intentional focus um, allows m- my story to enter this uh, i can just be filled with dreamy kind of uh, narrative, storyline. Just drifting in thought. Nothing's worth showing up for in the moment, so I'll think my way uh, through life. And so the stronger my inattention to the moment is, the more I encourage the story of my inward world out. Because my inward world does have some uh, excitement and some narrative and some sense of purpose and some sense of intentionality and so my narrative will come out when I consider the moment boring and so I'll actually allow because we get fed when our narrative is expressing itself and therefore I will actually find myself in moments of boredom not trying to uh, notice the boredom at all or be present to the boredom but just letting myself drift into the thoughts and so boredom then becomes reinforced because we have it's a, it's a nice uh, interlude to our thinking. problem, though, is that when we don't show up for something, we begin to feel that there is a sense of lacking in our not showing up. And a doubt begins to uh show up in ourselves and it's we don't we have fear of the failure if we actually did show up and then we failed in our showing up uh that's too much of a risk so maybe i'll just kind of give it a half heart a partial heart and then if i don't uh have to risk it all i can always say well the reason it didn't work is that i didn't show up for it completely and that will be a saving grace so I can give myself a way out of my doubt, out of my fear of, of being a failure. You see. And, of course, um, it protects us, uh, boredom protects us from uh, the wisdom uh, of seeing what is true. If we're bored with the moment and we don't show up for it, we don't have to see what is really true about the moment. And there's a part of us that really doesn't want to see the truth. We just as, just as well stay ignorant of the truth. And so that nothing new can be shown to us. When I show up for the moment, something new is will be revealed. But if I can just kind of stay bored and unattentive to the moment... Uh, sort of disinterested of the moment, then nothing needs to change, really. Nothing, and there's no newness that that needs to be seen, and I can just kind of fumble my way through without uh, any uh, increased wisdom. So uh, that's what's against us, all right? Now, let's look at the neutral and the dharma because we want to encourage some aliveness here. We want to find out a way, an avenue, so that we have a system, a practicum, for dealing with the neutral, rather than just letting ourselves drift through the neutral, not be not willing to show up for the neutral, feel disinterested. I know there's a lot of, of, of connotation about ordinariness in the neutral and being ordinary and routine and all of that really feels very negative to many of us I don't want to be ordinary I don't want to be just what everyone else is and when we're feeling the neutral it feels as if we're just in a kind of a bland state of and that's the reason we get bored is to keep us from the assumptions within that blandness so this is where the Dharma really needs to to move And that is, we take, the Dharma rests on our interest. It only moves in accordance with our interest. Where we're interested, that's where it'll move. It doesn't move just because we think we should go somewhere. We have to be interested about where we're going in order to move it there. Now, how do you get interested about boredom? Boredom, when boredom is the lack of interest in the moment. You see? Because the mind isn't going to get interested in the moment, the mind is just going to say, it's just going to summarize this moment, it's not worth paying attention to. So we're going to have to look from a different organ. And if you you start looking at what it is that's keeping us from being alive in the moment, then you'll engage the heart. The heart gets interested in where aliveness is being blocked. It's not interested in the feeling tone of the moment or trying to milk a feeling tone it's interested in being alive the heart and so when it sees itself as being disinterested or bored something a question comes to it an investigation is aroused within it's like what's going on here where is the where's the presence it's missing something and it's looking it's interested in where it that thing has been misplaced. Where is it? Where is the aliveness in this moment? And it's not a pretension. It's a deep, embedded interest in wanting to flush out the mind so that the mind will no longer be the basis and, re- and resolution of our lives. We have to be, we have to be f- interested in more than what the, how the mind is interpreting perception right and if you know that interest is a an inherent part of each one of our aliveness that when you're alive when each of us are present when we're awake when we are alert and attentive when we are aware aliveness is a component is a quality of that awareness and when you start feeling yourself disinterested you know that the opposite is true that you've been lost you're now lost, you're now in jail, imprisoned within the mind. There's no interest. In fact, the mind state itself is the lack of interest, and all you want now is to be comfortable. And so you'll opt out for interest by trying to be comfortable. So we have to arouse something. Okay, wait a second, what's blocking, what's blocking awareness in this moment? What's blocking? And what you'll see is that boredom is blocking awareness. The state of disinterest, the state of blandness. Now we have to get very quiet. We do not move just because something says it is uninteresting. If we, are to, if we accept that premise of the state of mind that says this is uninteresting, then we'll just go from one state of mind to another, one feeling tone to another, whatever the feeling tone tells us. That will be the nature of our life and we'll be completely conditioned upon what that state of mind is for us to show up or not show up for the moment. But if we say regardless of the feeling tone, regardless of the feeling tone, where is the aliveness in this moment? We look through the feeling tone, we look through the state of mind to gain access once more to that state of interest how do we do that we get interested in what seems to be blocking the interest we get interested in the boredom itself what is this thing called boredom what is this dead stop now that's the questioning that's the dyadic questioning we were doing last week what is this that's a question we ask ourselves that takes us down like a stone dropped into water, just keeps going right down to the, that stone of the question just drops right down to the experience of boredom itself. And the experience of boredom itself is then, it's not assumed to be true, it's listened, it's looked at, it's aware, It's the awareness now is permeating the very sense of boredom itself, but not being bored while it's on its journey it's being it's actually interest and therefore the boredom dissipates cannot sustain itself and we find ourselves alive within that question as the boredom as the ice sheet breaks on that boredom and completely renewed but you see what we have to do we just can't let the state of mind convince us of its truth that's essentially dharma in its most fundamental we have to keep challenging what our mind says is the state of affairs of life in this moment what perception is occurring what the feeling tone is within that we have to question we have to question all of our feelings we have to question our emotions we have to question the very nature of thought and story and narrative just by how we don't just by being quiet and listening to see is this true Is boredom really true? Is this moment really boring? Is that the summation, is that the truth of this moment? Just in asking that question, you are beyond boredom. Just in the willingness to pose a question to boredom, suddenly boredom doesn't carry you as convincingly through itself. So learning how to be quiet with ever, whatever state of mind arises. because whatever state of mind arises is a conditioned phenomena that we have learned to react, to cover and coat this moment with our conditioned reaction and then we just build a particular attitude and a particular commentary around that attitude and around that feeling, and off we go. And our life is just lived as a continuous series of conditioned responses. Well, that doesn't sound like much of a life to me, and I hope it doesn't sound like much of a life to you. For us to stop, find the meat of ourselves, the foundation of ourselves, to regain a foothold in the aliveness, awareness, to not let anything settle between our hearts and that awareness as impenetrable. Okay, all, well, thank you. So, if we can just sit for a minute, minute or two. Now, just as you sit, whatever state of mind is occurring, first get a sense of the feeling tone, the pleasant or the unpleasant or neutrality of it. Worry, stress, calm. quiet so nothing's being embroiled here nothing we're not we're not making more out of anything everything is just allowed to be as simple as it is when you come to a place of neutrality in yourself, where nothing is either exciting or unexciting, relaxing within that as well, finding aliveness, finding the heart within that as well, just like in metta. Is there love for this too? Okay. Any questions or comments? I'd be happy to respond if I can. Had his uh, brain operation, and and there's this other place that feels kind of similar to that. That's this place of not knowing, and there was the, there were these times when we didn't know what was going to happen, and, and I really wanted to to um, say, oh, everything's going to get better, <laughs> or oh, this is like terrible. This terrible thing is going to happen, and in truth, we didn't know. Nobody knew. And it was really, really hard to stay, and, and it was a practice like to yes. say, it's not either getting fully better right. or dissolving into terrible right. right. Just, this is just not knowing. Right. Okay, so when there is that moment when you can't, when the truth is not, uh, when the truth is not known, Right, you don't know whether somebody's going to get better or it's going to get worse, and there's this awful not knowing. What, what it's awful in the sense that it's not know known, but if you look, it's also the point of connection. Yeah, yeah. It's probably uh, the point in which you're most connected, say to your husband, in that not knowing. And to, and to what's happening. And to what's happening exactly. Into what's happening. Once it's summarized, once you know that it's going to all be better then everything is missed and you're then you you don't even it's not even really paid attention to anymore because it's been summarized right uh it's it's it was in hospice care same thing what do you say to somebody who's dying what you can't you'd love to be able to give them something that would make it okay but that's not going to happen so you and you'd love to say oh you look so good today when you come in the next time when you see them but they don't or maybe they do, but you know, still know they're dying, even if they have an up day, and so you stop inviting a kind of reflex, reflective, or ref, reflective um, uh, 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 complement to somebody. It's just just a complete reflex, uh, and what you find is that when you don't do that. You know, like, hi, how are you? I'm fine. You never met the person. Hi, how are you? Person A. I'm fine. Person B. Nobody said anything to anybody in that moment, did they? Right? So when you go in and you can't say that to somebody, you have to connect with them. So you don't have the niceties to keep, you, keep it smoothed over. And therefore, there can be this real... When you don't have that, all you have is each other. All you have is the, the intimacy of the moment to meet. It's, that's the true invitation of, you know, that, right? So neutrality, I mean, neutrality is a summation. It's like this isn't wor- I mean, very quickly, a neutral feeling in itself isn't a bland statement. It's just neutral. But it becomes bland very quickly, becomes aversive very quickly, because it's not interesting. And if life isn't interesting, then it's not meaningful. Therefore, n- neutral is not a just, a um, uh, feeling to atone, attend to and therefore I don't I don't have time for neutral I don't have time for neutral it has to be exciting you see this is a it's very quick it's very just automatic within our system of thinking our assumptions but if a neutral okay what but aliveness is equally in the neutral it's not missing somewhere It's not just in the pleasant or it's not just in the unpleasant. It's equally everywhere. Aliveness, awareness is equally everywhere. We have to prove that to ourselves to be Dharma. So, everything that every moment tells you to back away from, you have to prove that it's not worth backing away from. You have to prove it to yourself. That this moment is, even if you, and you have to go through a barrage. Of psychological uh, psychological waves of all oh, this is I'm just going to be ordinary I'm a dollar nobody's going to like me I'm just or you know the moment's ordinary all of that all those waves of conditioning that we've had on each one of the feeling tones this one has a lot of waves to it mm-hmm. so okay let me uh, that's okay let it come what's left after all that gets washed away is that next wave of ordinariness gets washed away what's left? Aliveness is what's left. Aliveness is what's left. How do we think we're gonna find this thing? You can be really good boy scouts and girl scouts you know find all your different you know spend your years of Dharma practice, scavenger hunting for the right qualities of mind. To do what? So that you can get away from the qualities of minds that are already there, that you already have. The quality of mind that you already have is as alive as any quality of mind you'll ever seek or want to find. And do you think we'll ever wake up to anything unless we know that for a fact? Because this moment will never live up to what could be. If I just had more quietude, more calm, more tranquility, more samadhi. You see what we have to do? This is called living our life full on. Where we are. And what's joyful to me about it is you don't have to go anywhere to do it. (laughs) Well, that's the burden of spirituality I gotta go find a teacher I gotta go find I gotta go to the Himalayas I've got to, you know I gotta go on retreat I've gotta do it. it can be very helpful if your life is called to do any of those things but it's never without its aliveness it's equally as alive as it was before you left on your journey now you gotta prove that you see it's just our doubt that keeps us hedging our bets well we say i don't feel i don't feel awake i don't feel complete you're right you don't feel so look at the feeling associated with that statement rather than conclude that that statement is true take it apart look at the feeling that you're having about yourself where is the aliveness within that you see just keep flushing it out is this making sense okay That's enough. (laughs) Thank you all. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.